now we take you to the residence of uh, Pastor Jeremy Lozell as he brings us a, a time of worship and word here on WNBC. Pastor Lozell. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. And I want to say thank you for those of you who are worshiping with us during this time. It is unique. And can I just add that it is a blessing for us to be able to worship um, at this hour right now through the different venues that we have. We are truly a blessed people. And I want to ask you right now to do your best to get ready for the next hour of worship. That might mean you need to uh, get a cup of coffee, might mean you need to just uh, you know, get a little bit more awake. But if you'd be willing to help me out by participating in this worship time, it really is our goal over the next hour or so to glorify our God. And of course, that's not just going to happen by one person on this side of the microphone um, doing something, but it's going to require many people being a part of that. And I truly believe that our God is going to be receiving the worship. So what I'm asking you to do now is to prepare yourself to worship our God. We've done our best to prepare with some music for the day, and I think you'll be uh, singing along, Lord willing, maybe tapping your toe for a little bit of it. Um, and I trust you'll be encouraged as we continue our study in the book of Romans. If you want to grab your Bible, you're going to want to make sure you have your Bible for sure today and uh, turn to Romans chapter 4. We're going to be there in just a while. Let me explain to you exactly what will be going on in the next several moments. Of course, as I already mentioned, worship. We'll be singing, and we'll be uh, singing with our hearts as well as our lips to the Lord. So worship will be taking place. Instruction will be taking place as well. We're going to open God's Word and continue what we've been learning from Paul's Everest of his writings, the book of Romans. And I am very excited for what God is going to do with uh, teaching us today. And then also we're going to be having a season of prayer at the end, we have been spending um, a longer season at the close of these worship services in prayer. And I'm going to ask you where you are at to make sure you're able to participate in prayer and give some specific areas of prayer that we want you to be a part of. I want to say thank you for our worship leaders for the day. We're going to be encouraged with some music and ask you to sing along with the Pamphlin Artist. Also with Shiloh, the Haven Quartet, one of my favorites, is going to be helping us out with music today, as well as the Martins for our closing song. So please clear your throat, uh, get yourself ready to sing, and get yourself ready to be encouraged with worship on this wonderful, beautiful Mother's Day. Can I say Happy Mother's Day to all the moms who are listening on this day? I have seen over the past couple months the individuals that have had birthdays and they've had the smallest birthday party maybe that they've ever had because of the idea that we need to stay in our homes and not gather in groups. And I was praying this morning for the moms that they would not feel that this was a bad Mother's Day, but I truly want to thank you for your commitment as a mother. We know that God honors women and mothers in his word. And we are so blessed to have this special day. And so I trust it will be a sweet day for all of those. For those of you who are missing your moms, maybe you're not able to be with them physically today, and that might be a little bit of a uh, a pain for you. For others that have lost a mother um, in the past year or even more than that, we know that this day is not always the sweetest day when we are missing someone that we love so much. But God is good to us. And so I want to say Happy Mother's Day to all those moms who will be uh, listening on this day. So worship, instruction, prayer at the end. And before we go any further and ask you to sing along with this first medley of songs, I want to go ahead and start us off with prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, as we look to you as one that knows all things, we are encouraged by that. As we look to you as one that is good, we are encouraged. As we look to you as one that has given us this very day, it is a blessing from you. We thank you for who you are. We praise you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the work that was done on the cross of Calvary so that we could have this avenue to talk to you. 
so that we can pray, so that we can have assurance of the forgiveness of our sins. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the Holy Spirit. And it's my prayer right now that as the Holy Spirit is present everywhere always, and specifically we're reminded in the scriptures that he is present within the hearts of his followers. I would pray that the Holy Spirit right now would just turn up that flame of fire within us. Allow us to feel loved. Allow us to reflect that love back to you by our worship and by our attention to your word. And would you have the Holy Spirit do a work right now that would be special for today and also for special for weeks and even for years to come as these times are so important to us for uh, us to worship on our side. And also, Heavenly Father, we have an anticipation that your ears are wide open to receive our worship. We praise you for that. And God, I would ask now that you would be blessed with the singing of your children. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's be encouraged. This is a song that's not straight through a hymn, but it's called Songs We Used to Sing. And my guess is you're going to be able to sing along or at least tap your toe with several of these songs. This is a wonderful one. So would you please continue in worship with Songs We Used to Sing. I'm standing by the river, looking for a city. There's gonna be a meeting in the air. And from the rock of ages, I shall not be moved. And when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. There's victory in Jesus, there's power in the blood. On Christ's solid rock, I'll stand. I know I've got a mansion where the soul never dies, just over in the glory land. Oh, sing with me those songs we used to sing, how they'd fill our hearts with joy and precious memories. I've found a resting place in that amazing race, so count your blessings, come and dine and sing along with me. When we Soldiers, I'll meet you in the morning when they ring those golden bells. After a while, I'm sure there is a fountain. Go tell it on the mountain, just send the light and give the world a smile. I know who holds tomorrow, I'm certain that he lives there for standing on the promises. I'll go. I am resolved that day by day He leadeth me to higher ground And Jesus loves me, this I know I still love to hear Those songs of yesteryear How they echo through the canyons of my memories To God be the glory I love to tell the story How that Jesus paid it all that day at Calvary See, there was great and grace was free. Pardon, there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Oh, yes, I'll live in glory. I'll sing the wondrous story. I've been redeemed. Jesus saves. Love lifted me. already awake. I hope that that would uh, get your blood flowing a little bit and get you a little bit more ready to worship with us. 
I want to go ahead and encourage us with a scripture reading from Psalm 30 or from Proverbs 31. Of course, when we think of Proverbs 31, if you're familiar with the scriptures, that's an area where God points out a woman that fears the Lord. And so let me encourage us with this beautiful passage that reflects so many uh, women that we know and are encouraged with. Psalm 31, starting in verse 10 and going through the entire rest of the proverb. I'm sorry, Proverbs 31. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates, and he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of her kindness on her uh, is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Praise the Lord that he uses mothers and women to be a blessing to those that are around them. Let's continue to worship today with the song, To God Be the Glory.
probably some of you that could hit the last note on that song, but I cannot get that high, unfortunately, but we are blessed to have some that are gifted musically that can get that high. Truly, to God be the glory. Let me just take a moment and jump ahead to something we're going to be looking at in the scriptures today. A line in that song said, the vilest offender, and I was raising my hand to that line, the vilest offender who truly believes... And that is a key word in our message for today. The vilest offender that truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Praise the Lord for that. When we look at our God that he is worthy of praise, we will worship him with the scriptures from Psalm 145, where it says, a song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Would you praise our God with me as we continue to sing? Just before we look into God's word, we're going to be worshiping with the song, The Doxology. Sing with me if you know it.
Well, that was pretty high too by one of that one of those fellows there. I think it was probably the tenor, and uh, but it's a beautiful doxology. Of course, that's one that's easy to memorize. Perhaps that will get stuck in your head, and you'll be singing that throughout the day. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. This is something that we need to be constantly doing. Okay, if you'd please take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter four. And let me give a little bit of explanation about our uh, message for today. I trust it's going to be an encouragement to you and a blessing. And as I've been meditating on this and thinking through it, here's what I think we're going to see. I think if you can really invest in this study over the next several minutes, I think what we will find are going to be some truths that are not only at the heart of the gospel message, but we're going to find some truths that are going to come back to your mind months down the road and years down the road. There's one key theme that we're going to be focusing on. We're going to be looking at the entire chapter. And I will tell you, one wonderful instructor, as he was teaching through this, he was kind of lamenting coming to Romans 4. He thought, this is not one of the more exciting passages that we're going to be looking at in Romans. And as I have gone through this, there is no doubt in my mind that if you will grab a hold of the one key truth that I want you to walk away with today, there are going to be times... When you are praying, and there are going to be times when you are in song, and there are going to be times when you're in God's word, that that theme is going to pop up. It's going to be like something coming from deep down, and you're going to say, yes, this is, this is something I'm familiar with, or I've, I've heard about this. It's a wonderful, wonderful issue that we're going to focus on, and I trust that you will uh, be blessed by it and do your part to invest in our time in Romans chapter 4 today. Well, today is Mother's Day, and if you are uh, like those in our household, we're going to hopefully be getting something that someone else has prepared and bringing it to our house to eat it. I know that we have a few favorite restaurants around the area, and we're considering one for the special uh, meal for today. And of course, it's going to be mom's decision what we're going to have in the end. But uh, one of our favorite restaurants is in Lapeer here, and it's called E.G. Nick's. And E.G. Nick's has a variety of things, and I can tell you some of my favorites right now, but that would probably distract you from what I'm trying to say. I'd get distracted myself as my stomach would get growling probably. When I think of E.G. Nix, we were so blessed in the past year to get a gift card to E.G. Nix from someone. And I can remember uh, us getting an order at E.G. Nix and taking that gift card down there. And the gift card was for $50, and our food didn't total that amount. So I took just a gift card with me, and I knew that that would cover it. And I gave them the card, and they gave me the card back because there was still a balance on that card. They gave me a receipt that had that balance spelled out. Now, the next time I went to use that gift card, it was, it was quite a bit of time had passed to the point where I could not remember what my credit was on that gift card. And so the next time we went to pick up our food, I took that gift card with me and I handed it to them. And I didn't know for sure how much was on there, but I suspected that I, listen, I was going to need to add something to that gift card in order to get the delicious meal that we wanted for our family. And sure enough, that's what's happened. They were able to see how much was left as a credit on that card. And then I had to shell out some cash to pay for the rest of it. And it was delicious. And I was happy to do that because that's only right. Well, what we're going to see in God's word today is that God has prepaid for you to become an accepted son or daughter in his righteous family. There's a lot going on there. God has paid. He's prepaid. 
what is needed for you to be righteous, to be called a righteous, righteous son or daughter. And then God, different than my second um, experience with the gift card, at that point, God leaves you with no way that you can add to the value of what he has already given. The only thing that you're able to do is just cash it in. Just believe that that is there. If you want to camp out on that illustration, just imagine God is prepaying and he's prepaid for every meal in the restaurant. And he's paid for every meal of the restaurant every day, more than you could possibly ever eat. Now, if I had a card like that to my favorite restaurant and I took it with me, I would never think about taking some cash along just in case what he paid wasn't enough to cover it. That wouldn't even be something that would enter my mind. And that's the picture that we get from Romans chapter 4 today. In Romans 4, we see that, Je we see that Jesus Christ paid the price on Calvary. And there is nothing that needs to be added to that. All we are called to do, like we sang earlier in our worship time, is all we are called to do is believe. Okay, all that to take us to Romans 4. Let me explain, in case you're one that is uh, commonly on the receiving end of how I teach through a passage. We are going to cover the entire chapter today. Don't get nervous, all right? We're not going to be here for longer than a typical time of instruction in God's Word. But let me go ahead and throw this out there that might be an encouragement to you. I'll ask the question. How many of you, when it comes to preaching or teaching, how many of you, you, you like illustrations? You really enjoy the illustration part of the sermons. You know, it's my experience that some people will remember illustrations for months down the road, even years down the road. And I teasingly will ask sometimes, do you remember what that illustration was trying to point you to? which is honestly whether illustration is successful or not, if they got the Bible application. Jesus was the perfect example of someone that would use illustrations. And here we find the Apostle Paul. He teaches this bedrock truth about salvation in Romans 3. And then the next thing that he does is he gives the believers in the, at the Church of Rome an illustration. That's everything that we're going to cover today. So what we're looking at is an illustration of the truth that he has just given that we covered last time in the end of Romans 3. Now before that, in chapter 118 through 320, you remember what the theme of that whole portion was? That was all the theme of sin. God's wrath is appropriate upon man's sin. And Paul is making the case that no one is above anyone else. We were all drawn from the same worthless pit. So chapter 118 through 320, proving that all men are equally separated from God because they are sinners. And then last time in verses 21 through 31 of Romans 3, which was so deep and it was um, there were so many vast themes in that. And do you remember what we did last time? Paul introduces all those words that we today use those as themes for our songs. Words like redeemed. Words like justified. Grace. Faith. I even know at least one song that's got the word propitiation in it. So he has just laid out these beautiful themes of salvation and he's talking to the believers there and he knows where their mind is going to go. Their mind is going to go with this theme of justified only by the work of God. They're going to think of somebody and some of them are going to want to argue. And so Paul gives an illustration next in Romans 4. And what he does is he introduces an individual who many of them would see as one who did great works, and perhaps those works were seen by the Father, and that was why he was seen righteous. 
Let me go ahead and give you a theme for what we're looking at. If you're taking notes, I'm going to ask you to write down a few things. You might even write in your Bible in the margin one or two or three words. The goal for Romans chapter 4 is this. Are you ready? When the Father sees us, he sees righteousness provided by his Son. So that's the, 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 the little one-sentence picture of where Paul is going. When the Heavenly Father sees his children, his sons and daughters, he sees the righteousness that was provided to us by his Son. And when he sees us as accepted, he's not going to see anything else. Okay, if you've got a pen and you're taking notes or would write in your Bible, I want you to write down these words. God's imputed righteousness. God's imputed righteousness. I'm going to give you an explanation ahead of time before we read through the text. And you need to understand God's imputed righteousness. When I mentioned a little bit ago that there's going to be times when you're studying God's word in the future, times when you are singing in the future, Times when you are praying to God and understanding that you are not worthy and understanding how you still struggle to not do the things that God wants you to do and you still struggle by doing the things that God does not want you to do. And when you come to those moments, this theme of God's imputed righteousness is going to hopefully come to the surface. So write that down. God's imputed righteousness. The big lesson is this word imputation, which is not a commonly used word. Last time we saw several commonly used words in Christianity, faith, grace, redeemed, justified. And then Paul threw in there one that we do not use commonly, but we don't want to lose that verbiage. He threw in the word propitiation last time. And here, the only word that we're giving is not one that is commonly used, imputation. The closest word that we have that we use on a regular basis to um, imputation is that word that I mentioned earlier, the word credit. But when we think of credit in our day and in our country specifically, it's not the best picture of imputation. It would be better for you to think of that prepaid card, that God has paid for that, and we can never, ever, ever add anything that is going to be needed. That prepaid card, because Christ's work at Calvary has paid for all of your sins, and that is the reason why you are seen as spotless before your Heavenly Father. So imputation is that big theme that I want us to write down and put in our hearts. And we're going to see the illustration of it in Romans 4 as we look at one specific character. Imputation. God attributes to me the righteousness of his son. And when this happens, then God treats me as acceptable according to his standard of perfection. That's what imputation is. That's the lesson. All right. All the rest for today is illustration. So hopefully it's an encouragement for you. Before I read through a lengthy passage in Romans chapter 4, I'm going to talk through it and explain it. That's switched from what we usually do. Um, It's common that we will read through the passage that we're going to cover. But I think that it's going to be helpful for us if we kind of climax at the end by reading these verses. So let me walk through this theme of God's um, righteous imputation, God's, God's or Christ's imputation put upon us, his righteousness put upon us. So the main character we're talking about, do you already know who it is? Some of you have probably read ahead. The main illustration that the Apostle Paul uses now is Abraham. And we're going to read about Abraham in verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to read 13 through 25 after I talk about it for just a few more moments. Now let me give you a little bit of background as to why Paul is going here. 
If you look up in chapter 3 of, uh, verse 27 of chapter 3 of Romans, Paul asks the question, then what becomes of our boasting? And I think that the Jews in Jesus' day believed that there was no man who had earned God's favor more than Abraham. In fact, there are some ancient writings, not the scriptures, but some other ancient writings where they gave Abraham some credit from being a righteous person who was pleasing to God, even from the age of three. And so, of course, they would look at Abraham and think that he earned God's favor. And so the Apostle Paul, in the beautiful way that he lovingly is going to teach them this truth, Paul uses Abraham as the perfect illustration of someone who's fav- who has favor with God because of one thing. We sang about that one thing earlier that we need to do, and there was one thing that Abraham had to do to earn favor with God. And that one thing was, do you know what it was? He had to believe. That's what we find. In Romans chapter 4. And of course, Romans chapter 4, Paul is going back to uh, Genesis and he's, he's quoting and teaching from Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis 17. Multiple times he refers to these passages. And this is when God promises Abraham in his old age a child. Something that on, a, on our human side is impossible. It could not be. And yet God beautifully takes Abraham and we have this story. We're going to read through it, uh, the details in just a moment. But let me just give you a little bit of a preface for it. Abraham is 86 years old. I wonder if anybody listening right now is 86 years old. Abraham is 86 years old when God speaks to him. And the picture is basically like this. God says, Abraham, I want you to come with me for a walk. Let's walk and let's talk. And as God talks to Abraham, he says, I want you to cast your gaze upward. I want you to look at all the stars. And he starts to look at them. And the idea is, is how many of those stars are there? Well, we understand that he could not number those stars. And then God gives a promise to Abraham. God says, your offspring is going to be as many as the stars that you can see in the sky and even beyond. And then the Bible tells us what Abraham's response was. This promise that is unthinkable, that would be miraculous, and Abraham's immediate response was, he believed. That was the turning point. And that is where Paul is going to point them to. Abraham's righteousness, when God made him a promise, came when he believed that promise. Now let me go ahead and mention also that Abraham's actions changed at that point. We have record in the scriptures of him talking about his son, who he did not have yet. And yet he spoke about Isaac, who was to come. And he talks about Isaac um, with this understanding that God had promised it. And even before he was born, he is showing how much confidence he has that God was going to do it. So he not only had a, an instant reaction that he believed, but it was demonstrated over the next 13 years He was 86 years old when God said, you're going to have a son and he's going to have a a son and your offspring is going to go and be so many. 13 years he waited and we are told that he believed the promise of God. Now, I want you to listen to the next statement that I'm going to say because it's going to make some of you uh, maybe raise your eyebrows or be a little bit uh, confused. 
This covenant that we find with God and Abraham, God makes a, here it is, God makes a conditional covenant with Abraham. And some might be thrown off by that word condition. There is a conditional covenant made with Abraham here, but we understand who the one is that is going to meet that condition. Is it Abraham? Is Abraham the one that has to meet that condition? And the answer is no. Abraham has to do nothing except believe. It is conditional. It is based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We understand that God did all the work that puts that credit on our account, and we have to believe it. The same thing applies to you and to me. Right standing before God the Father is a gift to us through faith. All we do is what? Believe it. And it's scandalous. It is so contrary to how men and women think. And they can look at the work of Christ, but they can say, certainly I have to do something. I've got to add a little bit more. Maybe that's not going to be enough to get exactly what I want and need. And God is teaching here, there is absolutely nothing that you can do to add to what has been done. You are going to receive all the riches, all the wonderful blessings as a son or daughter of God will receive. Remember that illustration of the gift card. Now, I didn't mention this. It was kind of implied. Someone had to pay for that gift card. Somebody had to go out and go there and purchase that gift card and then give it to me. And I've never turned down a free meal, I don't think. A gift card is a wonderful gift to get. And so someone had to go and they had to pay for that. But I didn't let it go unused. I received a wonderful meal. At Calvary, listen, at Calvary, Christ paid for our sins. And my part is to believe that work done by Jesus Christ, that it covers the sins. And I think this is where it's going to apply down the road for so many of us. When you're in a place where you are doing something that is uncharacteristic of a son or daughter of God, that sin has been paid for. Jesus' sacrifice covers the sins that I know is uncharacteristic of a child of God. And so what does that drive me to do? It drives me to worship. I am driven to respond with thanksgiving and praise and worship. That's what I do when I learn of this. I can't do anything else. I can't go and put more on the gift card. God has exhausted everything that is going to be needed. And Paul is going to use Abraham. Go ahead and get your Bibles ready. God is going to use Abraham as the perfect example that God's righteousness was credited to him when he believed. He's going to mention a few things. He's going to mention circumcision. He's going to mention um, some other things along the way. But let me go ahead and read from Romans chapter 4. I'm going to read 1 through 5, and I want you to read this. If you haven't already put down... um, God's imputed righteousness, write that somewhere, maybe in the margin or at the bottom. I'm going to read 1 through 5 of Romans 4, and then we're going to skip down to 13. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. 
Skip down to chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs of faith, then that that nulls the promise. It is void. Verse 15, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. And this is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he, was, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him, no, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also, Paul writes. It will be counted to us who believe in him who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespass and raised for our justification. When Abraham heard God's promise, he believed. And it was at that point that God attributes to Abraham the righteousness that God's son would supply. And at that point, God treats Abraham as a child who is acceptable. Even though Abraham was not perfect while he was here on this earth, he still messed up. But God treated him as a righteous son, according to God's perfect standard. Because when God looked at Abraham, he did not see everything that Abraham was bringing or trying to add. He only saw the work that was accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Now in verses 6, 7, and 8, there's a reference to David that we did not cover. And I just want to mention about that, that Abraham and David both justified in the same way, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then also verses 9 through 12, there's a reference to circumcision, which Paul has already spent a lot of time on. So we cannot add circumcision to the work of Jesus Christ. We cannot add, as he referenced, the law to the work of Christ. Abraham's circumcision came years after. The law didn't come until Moses' time. Okay, what can we do with this? What can you do? Well, it's been my opinion as I study through Romans chapter 4 that this is one of those passages that my prayer is that in the future when you're praying and studying and singing that this truth of imputed righteousness will come up and say, that's me and that's what I have and that's my God. But this should drive us to worship. What can you do? You can do the exact same thing that Abraham did, that Paul is telling them they need to do, believe. You and I need to believe the work that was done by Jesus, that it paid completely for you to be righteous, and that there is no reason for you to think that you can add anything to that work that he did. Let me give one more illustration. And then we'll be done and go to our prayer time together. George Danzig, 
George Danzig was a senior at Stanford University during the Great Depression. Now, George understood that he, upon graduation, was going to be joining the unemployment line with most of the other graduates. But there was a little bit of hope for George. You see, there was one assistant teacher position that might be offered to one of the students. Now, George was not at the head of his class. George was not the smartest, but George said, you know what, I'm going to go for this. And so he poured himself into his studies for this mathematics final exam. He decided to go for it, did everything that he could do to prepare, but something went wrong. On the day of the exam, George overslept. It was a nightmare. I can imagine he got up and he got dressed real fast and he ran to where the class was. And George found himself arriving late to the class. In fact, when he got there, all the other students, who many of them would be in line for this teaching position, they had already started on the exam. And so he was mortified. George goes and gets a copy of the exam. There were eight questions written out on the paper that he picked up, and there were two additional questions that had been written on the board. Well, he went to work. And the questions on the paper, George got through them. He went through each of them and felt confident. And then he started working on the two questions that were written on the board. And then time was up. And he had not finished the last two problems that he was working on. And as he went to the front and he was really discouraged, thinking that he wasn't going to get that job and he was going to need a job, he took a shot at something. He asked the professor, he said, you know, I finished these first eight problems, but then George asked, could I have a couple more days to work on these two that I did not get an answer to? Well, to George's shock, the professor said, sure, go ahead, just like that. And as the professor gave him that time, well, he saw this as an opportunity. So George went home with those two unanswered problems and he worked on them and he worked on them. And as he went and worked on those problems, he did get the answer to one of them after a couple days, but he couldn't find the answer to the other. Everything that he had, he poured into it. And so, upon the agreement that he had with his professor, he turned those last two problems in, and George fell into a deep depression. He knew that he would not get the job. And yet, the day after he turned in that paper. There was a knock on his door. It woke him up. It was his mathematics professor that was there. And he was shouting something as George opened the door. He said, you've made history. George, you have made mathematics history. Well, George was confused by this, not knowing what was going on. And so then the professor told him the whole story, filled in some of the blanks that George needed to have filled in. You see, before the exam, which George was late for, the professor told the class never to quit on trying to solve a problem. Don't just give up easily. Keep working at it. And then the professor added, there are some classic problems that nobody has ever been able to get the answer to. Even Einstein couldn't find the answer to some problems. And at that point, the professor, to motivate the kids to not give up, wrote two of those impossible problems on the board. Well, of course, George had missed the opening remarks. He did not know that the problems on the board weren't part of the exam at all. And George had solved one of those problems. And that very morning, the professor made George his assistant. And George taught at Stanford University until his retirement. Friends, sin has written an equation that none of us can solve. It was only a solution that was found by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did the work on the cross, something that no man could do, so that we could receive a gift that no man deserves. You and I are simply to believe. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look to you, we thank you for the wonderful privilege it is to be on the receiving end of this. And Lord, so many of us have this tendency to want to add something to what you have done, your gift of your son, Christ's gift of his life. And we thank you that we cannot add anything to it to make us more acceptable in your sight. I praise you for that righteousness that you see upon me because there was a day when I believed. The work was done. The invitation was given. And I called out and asked for forgiveness of my sins. And now you treat me as a righteous son. I thank you for the blessing it is to know this as I walk through this world. I look forward to a day where I no longer struggle. I no longer doubt. I no longer shed tears over my sin. But I thank you that I can look to the work of Christ on the cross and know that it was enough to cover anything that I have done in the past or that I will do in the future. I praise you for forgiveness. And I thank you for doing this work in our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to continue to worship at this time. Before we ask you to pray, we're going to worship with the song Majesty. If you know it, would you sing it? Majesty. Worship his majesty. We're going to turn to our prayer time now, and I just got two topics that I want to ask you as a church family to pray for. One of them is familiar, and the other one is a new one that I'm going to introduce that's been heavy on my heart uh, for the past week or so. And so let's take a moment just to spend time in prayer and pray for the leaders that are over us. I hope that you're praying for these folks more than just during this time when we ask you to pray. Um, So I'm going to ask you to pray for President Trump and Vice President Pence, for Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell, as well as Governor Whitmer. Would you take a moment right now and pray for those?
Our Heavenly Father, may your will be done through these that are servants that have been placed in positions of authority. Would you give them wisdom that they will need that will come from you? We pray this for them. We pray for protection. We pray for uh, decisions to be made that would be good for this nation, good for the individuals, and good for those of us who want our nation to follow the principles that you have set in your, in your word. And as we continue to prayer, let me in prayer, let me just ask you to pray for one specific area. It might sound different coming from different people that are praying out there. But I want to ask you to pray that about this issue and how we approach it going down the road um, as far as how it can be divisive among Christians. I have taught before, and I reference it pretty often, that the devil can take anything that God gives us and he can turn it into a negative. He'll take something and he will turn it as a divisive point between believers. And specifically with what we are facing in our nation, I think I'm excited what God is going to do. I have complete confidence that he's going to do something that we could have never seen or known ahead of time. So God does have a plan, and I have a confidence that he's going to do something. Having said that, my heart very much so is that believers not be divided over peripheral issues. And this is something that we don't even find in the scriptures. We can go through the scriptures and find all kinds of principles to guide us and direct us. And I've read through those and I've seen good men that have given these Bible principles throughout to help give us direction. But having said that, I think the devil could grab a hold of this issue and could make this something that would split people who agree on Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to stop preaching, but I'm going to ask you to pray that this, that we believers would not allow this issue to become something that divides us from other believers. Take a moment to pray for that right now. that we have, understand the wonderful directives that you've given us in your word. And while some of us might be confused or hurting or reacting through times like this, would you allow us to be led by the Holy Spirit so that we would be doing things that would further your church, that would make Christians stronger and closer together, and that would be something that would draw other people to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you can use this. Would you allow us to be, understand that the devil wants to take this and use it as something to divide Christians? God, please give us wisdom to avoid that. In Jesus' name, amen. I do want to thank you for being a part of this worship service today. It's been a blessing to me, and I've enjoyed this study in Romans. You can go through and read through uh, uh, the whole passage there in Romans chapter 4 if you like. We're going to close our time of worship with another song. It's called Lord Most High, and it's a familiar song to us at Calvary, and I trust that you'll be able to be encouraged as we close our time of worship this day. But I want to encourage you to go on worshiping our God through this day. Maybe a song like this will get stuck in your head, and you'll be singing it to Him from your heart. Thank you for being part of the worship service today. Let's close our time with Lord Most High. Strong. From the shouts of the strong 